Hello, everyone, and welcome back to SALT Talks. My name is John Darcy. I'm the Managing Director of SALT, which is a global thought leadership forum and networking platform at the intersection of finance, technology, and public policy. SALT Talks are a digital interview series with leading investors, creators, and thinkers. And our goal on these talks, which is the same as our goal at our SALT conferences, is to provide a window into the mind of subject matter experts, as well as provide a platform for what we think are big ideas that are shaping the future. Another thing that we've always done at our conferences that we try to integrate into these SALT talks as well is supporting great causes, causes that are lifting people up around the world, uh, solving problems uh, that exist in our society, supporting philanthropic causes. And so we're very excited to feature a conversation today around one of those causes that we're very excited to support and continue to support through our live events as well as our, our digital media uh, series as well. Uh, our guest today is Gary Mendel uh, on Salt Talks. He's the founder and CEO of Shatterproof, which is a national nonprofit organization dedicated to reversing the addiction crisis in the United States. Uh, after losing his son Brian to addiction in 2011, Gary founded Shadowproof to spare other families the tragedy his family had suffered. Uh, since founding Shadowproof, uh, Gary has been recognized as a national leader in the addiction space, working to transform how opioid and substance abuse disorders are treated. Uh, his priorities include advocating for state and federal policy change, ending the harmful stigma of addiction, and supporting and educating our communities around addiction. Uh, Gary has testified in front of the President's Commission on Combating drug addiction and the opioid crisis, and his opinions are frequently reflected in the media. He's a member of the National Quality Forum's Technical Expert Panel for Opioid and Opioid Use Disorder, and is an advisory member of the Opioid Policy Research Collaborative at the Heller School for Social Policy and Management at Brandeis University. Before Shatterproof, Gary spent decades as an entrepreneur. He founded HEI Hotels and Resorts, which is a multi-billion dollar company that oversees a portfolio of approximately 70 first-class hotels. Uh, Gary received his bachelor's degree from Cornell University School of Hotel Administration and his MBA with distinction from the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. Hosting today's talk is Anthony Scaramucci, who's the founder and managing partner of Skybridge Capital, which is a global alternative investment firm. Anthony is also the chairman of SALT. I will add, and Anthony will probably get into this a little bit, but he has some family history with addiction, and we've talked openly about it on some of his uh, recent podcasts or previous podcasts. So I think uh, we're all looking forward to a productive conversation today and, and look forward to having you on. But Anthony, you go ahead. Well, first of all, Gary, thank you for joining us. And also, you know, thank you for your amazing contributions that you're making. Um, and John is right. And I think I mentioned this to you. So my older brother has uh, cycled through cocaine addiction, I would say for the last 40 years, he's been battling the problem exacerbated by the uh, COVID-19 crisis. He probably spent a good part of 2021 in rehab. Um, the good news is he's out right now and he's doing well. Um, but you and I both know that these are diseases um, and it's it's a very big impetus for me, as I'm sure it is for you, to raise awareness and to impress upon people that this is in fact a disease more than anything else. And so with that, uh, Talk to us about why you started Shatterproof and talk to us about the strategic goals of the organization. Sure. Um, John, thank you. And Anthony as well. Thank you both. You know, my career was not in healthcare nor nonprofit work. Um, 
I was building my hotel business and raising my family in a small town in Connecticut. And my older son, Brian, uh, was struggling with addiction. Like many in our society, he used, you know, beer and pot and wine. And when he was 13, 14, 15, and it became clear in his junior year in high school, he had developed an addiction to those. And over the next eight years, he went to eight different treatment programs and really tried his hardest. And, um, but as John mentioned in his uh, introduction, in October, 2011, uh, I was woken up in the middle of the night and told that my son had just died. Um, he was 25 years old and he hadn't used a substance in 13 months. And equally tragic, it wasn't just addiction that took my son's life, Brian. It was the feeling of shame he had every morning when he opened his eyes, feeling like an outcast all day long. That the history on his computer showed that he woke up that morning, researched suicide note, wrote a note of his own, and took his own life alone. So obviously, as a father, it doesn't get any worse. And the first couple months or weeks, let's say weeks, I think the only thing, that, uh, Anthony, that kept me alive was my wife had framed the serenity prayer and placed it on my nightstand. And I just kept reading the, that first sentence over and over again. I had to accept what I could not change. Mm -hmm. But then in the weeks that followed that, I started reading and thinking about the second sentence being able to change what we could, what we can. And so because I own my own business, I had some flexibility. I took what I thought would be a few months off of work and I traveled the country really in search of two questions related to the serenity prayer. What could I have done differently as a father, even though I knew I had to accept it? I had to, I just had to find that out. But then on the second sentence of serenity prayer, what could be done to spare other families of the tragedy that mine had suffered? I learned so much during that three months. I was down in DC a lot meeting with the federal agencies. I was across the country meeting with the leading researchers in prevention and treatment of addiction. And I learned so many things. I learned how big this was. Third largest cause of death in the country when you include drugs and alcohol that literally eight out of 10 of those addicted today became addicted before their 18th birthday. It's about our children. And we, in a, as a society, were just letting it happen. But I would say the biggest thing I learned, Anthony, was, and I wrote the word tragic on a piece of paper, I learned that our federal government had provided grants of tens of billions of dollars in the decades prior to my son dying. And those researchers had successfully used that funding and created a wonderful body of knowledge. Knowledge that had proven through randomly controlled trials, without any doubt proven. If our families, healthcare system, and local communities did A, B, and C, far less of our loved ones would ever use drugs and become addicted. So, and if, and if our, just to finish one sentence, and if yeah, our no, treatment no, system did X, Y, and Z, and those being treated who had developed the disease would, would succeed at success rates comparable to someone being treated with any other chronic illness like heart disease or diabetes. 
So it's all this information was just sitting in peer-reviewed medical journals, not being implemented. Listen, Gary, this is super difficult stuff. And I applaud you for being here to raise awareness and to talk about it. And so I'm going to ask you something personal. I hope you don't mind. And if you don't want to answer it, that's fine. But, but I figure you're out here on the point and I don't, it's not to revisit, but I think it's just for awareness for other people that maybe have similar issues. What could have been done for your son? All the knowledge that you have today, right? What could have been done? Intervention? What, what, you know, perfect question. Perfect, yeah. perfect question. I, I, and I'm asking it, sir, not to have you relive your tragedy. I'm asking it so that we can open the door up and raise awareness to help prevent this tragedy for others. No, it's a great question. I live it every day and I'm thrilled that you asked it because that's what I want to do, help others. Um, number one, I mentioned prevention, right? Research sitting in medical journals. There is proven programs that could be used in our schools that have proven to reduce the number of our kids who ever use drugs and alcohol by 20 to 40%, alcohol and drugs, excuse me, by 20 to 40%, depending on which study you looked at and what population you looked at. Think about that, 20 to 40%. And all we need to do is just use this in our schools, number one. Number two, related to prevention also, which is more intervention, is stigma. I mean, think about John Doe, Johnny, Susie. They're in high school. They go on the backwoods and they try beer and pot like anybody else that age. And one, you know, eight and t- two and ten say, ah, I didn't like it. I'm never going to use it again. Six and ten, seven and ten, that felt pretty good. Next time there's a party, I'll try it. But one or two and ten, it connects in a certain way. It's either genetic or maybe they have anxiety and it makes them feel better, or maybe they feel depressed and it makes them feel better. But for whatever reason, it connects and they start to use it more often and become addicted. Are they gonna tell anybody about it? Their parents, I got a problem. Probably not because 75% of the public in a recent measurement that we did, 75% of the public doesn't think this is a disease. 51% of the public is unwilling to associate with someone known to be addicted to drugs or alcohol as a friend, coworker, neighbor, or marry into their family. So if you have this, you're ashamed. But think about it even worse. Not only what the public feels, they feel it. They start to believe it and internalize it and believe I'm not worth it. I'm a bad person. I can't be friends with my friends. I'm a bad person. I'm not worthy of it. And so they feel horrible about themselves and they don't seek treatment. So that's more in that intervention before you become really addicted, going to your parents, go to your primary care doctor. Speaking of primary care doctors, 25% of the primary care doctors in this country are unwilling to associate, excuse me, are unwilling to treat someone addicted to opioids because they don't want those people in their practice. Half of doctors don't think this is, is a, 55% of doctors don't think this is a disease. 50% of doctors don't think medication is effective. 50%. And it's not their fault. They were never educated in medical schools, no continuing uh, um, education. So that answered your question on prevention, treatment. 
there are evidence-based protocols that have been proven through research to significantly improve the outcomes of those in treatment, like I mentioned earlier. But most treatment programs aren't following. Why? It's not bad people at these treatment programs. Yes, any business has some unscrupulous people, but mostly it's good people running treatment programs who just don't know. They haven't been educated. It hasn't been brought into our healthcare system. It's not taught in medical schools. So they just don't know what the new science shows how to treat people. I learned after my son passed away about the effectiveness of medications for those addicted to opioids. There was only one treatment program, his seventh, that prescribed it after the first six didn't. Now, he probably wasn't addicted to opioids for the first two or three, but the next four or five treatment programs he was, and they never even brought it up. The seventh did, the eighth took him off it, and he died because they didn't believe in it. Not that they're criminals or anything, they're not bad people. They didn't know about the effectiveness of the, of the medications, and they told me it wasn't effective. So when they took him off, I went along with it. It is just crazy. So, but again, and I have empathy, sir, not yeah. I've experienced a death, unfortunately, but I have empathy because of the lack of control that you feel as the loved one to somebody that has the disease. Moreover, because it's a disease of the brain, it still has a social stigma attached to it that it's not a disease as you're very adroitly and eloquently referencing. Um, but this is a little bit different of a question. It's a little bit of a marketing question. Okay. So yeah. why did you name the non-for-profit Shatterproof? Sure. What is the goal of Shatterproof? Obviously the name is an intense name for somebody like me. I love the name. Right. And then how, how, what are we going to do together to raise awareness? Sure. Let me answer the question about the name first, but I want to broaden what can we do to raise awareness? Because there's a lot more than that. Um, as far as the name goes, we looked at several names that had the word addiction, National Addiction Society, you know, et cetera. And we did some research. We hired a research firm, which I got criticized for from some of the researchers, you know, the addiction researchers. Why are you spending, you know, $100,000 on, on research for branding? because the branding was important. And we learned that you're the National Addiction Society, et cetera, it's viewed bureaucratic and government run, number one. Uh, number two, we didn't want the word addiction in it for a couple of reasons. Um, one, it's really not addiction, it's substance use disorder is the real disease and that was too long of a name. And two, over time, this could grow into all of behavioral health, including mental illness, it could because there's such an overlap between mental illness and addiction. Third, the research showed that once someone learned the name, they didn't forget it. Fourth, think about what it means. It's shatterproof our family, protect our family with a protective coating. And lastly, we love the word proof in it. Everything we do at Shatterproof is based on science, proven research. It's not what Gary thinks. It's not what anybody at Shatterproof thinks. It's what... The FDA approves as a medication or HHS recommends as an intervention, either prevention, retreatment, or recovery. If it's recommended by HHS or the FDA, we do it. If not, we don't. It's proof, all based on science. As far as awareness, I want to broaden that. 
And it ties back to your earlier question. What can we do to help people? It's really two ways. You can almost look at it, two categories. One is helping people today, but the other is changing the system, right? So I'll give you just one example. We built a quality measurement system for addiction treatment. So anybody, if you're a parent and you're, you're looking for a safe car for your son or daughter, you're gonna to go to Consumer Reports and you can compare the features side by side. Now we have that for addiction treatment programs. We, have, we launched it in six states, representing 13% of the population. It's now expanding into, into six to seven others. It's gonna be in over 40% of the US population, et cetera, et cetera. We can talk about that later. But the point about it is, in those six states today and four more states starting in five weeks, so we'll have 10 in five weeks, we're helping families today. They can go to the website, they can compare features of different treatment programs to be able to find one that's offering the science-based care that I referred to earlier that I didn't have as a father. But number two, which is what I really value, in addition to that, it's changing the system. Because if every treatment program knows that families are going to this quality measurement system to choose where they're going to send their family member or someone themselves, and they're going to have to follow evidence-based practices or they won't have people going to their treatment programs. If the providers know that's, and that we're giving that data in certain ways to healthcare insurers and they're using it to build their networks, then treatment programs are going to have to follow evidence-based practices or they're not going to be in the networks of commercial insurers. If we're getting into giving it to states so they can make decisions who to contract with for Medicaid or to who to license, again, Providers are going to have to follow evidence-based practices so they won't be in business. We can check the box. Supply and demand. I mean, this is basic supply and demand. And the whole system is changing for our children, our great-grandchildren, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren, forever. The whole system will rise. And everything we do is in that frame of helping people today, but changing the system. And I'll also add, Shutterproof will never be bigger to change the system to help 300 million Americans. But we are big enough already and we're getting bigger and more, more and bigger each year to even do greater impact. It's the partnerships we form, partnerships with states, partnerships with companies, partnerships with someone like yourself right now, partnerships with volunteers all over the country. Many of them turn to advocates and help us get a policy changed. We've got 20 policy laws passed into bills passed into law in 17 states already that are already saving lots of lives. But unless someone changes the law back, it's, it's there forever. Um, so it's systems change. And awareness is part of that. So how do we now change the system where the awareness is happening? Well, we can do it with education programs in high schools and colleges. We can do it with a big education program that's needed right now for fentanyl. Um, so people understand that the dangers of fentanyl, it's killing Two thirds of the people who are dying of overdoses are dying because of fentanyl right now. And, and they don't even know it's dangerous. And a lot of them aren't even addicted. They're just chopping one pill just at a party for fun. They don't realize that it's laced with fentanyl, but that's a whole separate topic. My point though, is it's systems change. And I will have one more huge systems change. I'm sorry. It, it's, it is the federal government has, has doubled the amount of funding going to addiction, which is great. But we're creating system change now at Shatterproof to, to get states one by one to pass legislation to ensure that that, month, that funding is used 
for only evidence-based practices. Because a lot of it is used for what they've been doing for years, just like treatment programs. And it's not being used for what science shows really works. That's systems change. Sorry. Yeah. No, 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 no. Very, very helpful. And I appreciate you bringing all that stuff up. I, I, I want to keep going because I think this is a fascinating conversation. I want to, I want to discuss how to get the society to embrace what you're doing. Because what I find, even with my own family, people that have this illness are, um, I'm going to be strong about this and say they're somewhat shunned. They're somewhat shunned because it's like, it's like to a group of people, sir, it's like a plague as opposed to a discrete illness, right? So I want to keep myself away from it so that it doesn't affect me. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. So the foundation of, of, of the answer to your question, and a lot of things build off of it, the, the foundation of the home, if you will, is stigma. Right. So that's one of our three pillars of work. One is transforming the treatment system. Number two is ending stigmas. And number three, getting the right education to families, prevention, treatment, and recovery, all aspects of it. So related to, if we all believe, which I do, that ending stigma is the foundation of it because everything else will then happen naturally. It is, we spent a year, literally a year working with a leading consultant in this country who did it all pro bono for us, actually two leading consultants, all pro bono. And we studied what the research shows of how to reduce stigma. Again, shatterproof, everything is based on science that we did. We do. We studied 11 social movements. For example, how did our country change its views of HIV AIDS? How did our country change its views of marriage equality? You couldn't even join the Boy Scouts 25 years ago if you were gay, now you can run for presidents. Well, they tried a lot of things. Some things worked, some things didn't. Well, we studied 11 movements. We, we, we studied over a hundred pieces of published literature. We had interviews with an hour and a half each with 50 experts who went through those 11 social movements. And we pulled out key success factors that we thought were relevant to ending stigma of addiction, substance use disorder. One centralized uh, uh, actor, three key actions, educating, language change, and policy changes. The education had to be contact-based. In other words, it had to be stories that humanized it, and it had to be the right story of people living beautiful lives in recovery. Imagine a story that's 90 seconds long on a video that is, hi, I'm Johnny. I work at Walmart. I've been here 15 years. I've been promoted four times. I'm a store manager and I have three kids. I go to church on Sundays. I coach Little League on Tuesdays. I have family barbecues in my neighborhood on the, or neighborhood barbecues on the weekends with my neighbors and kids. And I'm addicted to heroin, but I'm in recovery. I've been properly treated. I haven't relapsed in years, but I could, but it'll be minor because I've got evidence-based treatment and my life is beautiful. And research has shown that that works. It changed the vision of someone like my son or your brother is someone bad. No, your, your brother is, could be living a beautiful life and a wonderful person. And he's in recovery from cocaine. He's a, just like anybody else. And there's tens of millions of people like your brother living beautiful lives. And yes, you could be friend, coworker, neighbor of your brother, my son, et cetera. 
So, so that's number three, evidence-based. It's sequencing. It's picking the right systems, getting the most influential players, and then having a cascade down to get to a tipping point for mass, for, for, for mass adoption throughout the country, et cetera, et cetera. It's grassroots and it's grass tops. So we tried this in the state of Pennsylvania. We, 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 we identified six sectors of our society. One is the public through communities. The state of Pennsylvania funded us to try a pilot and see if a plan we put together would, tr- would work for addiction. It worked unbelievably. In 12 months, we reached almost 4 million people in the state. Almost 4 million people saw our content. And those 4 million people changed their knowledge, attitudes, and behaviors about this disease on valid and reliable indicators, proven indicators, by 15 points. 15 points. You know, as an example, would you be willing to have someone addicted to opioids as your neighbor? It went, of those 4 million people, before 41%, a year later, 52%. Medications, do you believe they're effective for, effective for someone addicted to opioids? Went from 26% to 39%. Across 15, 13 measures, it went 15 points. So successful, the state extended it for two more years. So I'm sure we'll grow beyond that 4 million people. Kentucky signed up right away. We're now implementing in Kentucky, and we have three other states we expect to announce in the next 60 days that will take us from one state representing 3.9% of the U.S. population to 20 states, excuse me, five states representing 20% of the United States population. That's going to change the public views in those five states. And then the expectation is we're going to go from five to eight. We're going to go from 20% of the population to 40 to 60 and spread this. We also, we, we also, Pennsylvania also gave us funding to test this now, not just with the public. Let's go to sector number two, providers. Remember I mentioned earlier, providers don't think this is a disease. Healthcare professionals, they don't believe in medications, nor is a disease. We're now we're starting an intervention in two hospitals in the state to change the way the healthcare professionals think about their patients and the medications that treat them. And we're expecting to announce in a few weeks a grant from a large foundation and not just do two hospitals to so now extend it to 12, from two sites to 12 sites, not just in hospitals, but also in primary care and residential treatment program in four cities and related to the socially vulnerable. See, we're gonna amend the content related to the socially vulnerable. How great is that? So that's two sectors. And the next sector we wanna go after is the media to change their language. There are so many wonderful articles or articles written by wonderful journalists telling a sympathetic story, but they're using the wrong language. They're using language that has proven through research without any doubt to be a stigmatizing view of people like the people have a, that have a substance use disorder versus a sympathetic view they have a disease, let's get them to the healthcare system. Proven. We, we need to change that language. Well, it's beautifully said. I, I've got to let John Dorsey come in because he's always uh, thoughtful and and uh, asking questions that I may have missed. But I think you've been uh, incredible today. And um, I can feel your passion and energy for this. And it's very, very compelling. And I'm thrilled to be a part of it with you, John. I'm going to turn it over to you. Sure. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks, Anthony. And thanks, Gary. Just to echo Anthony to, to see somebody directing the pain that you've experienced in your life towards such a great cause is inspiring. And I think, you know, whether people have involvement directly with addiction or substance abuse disorder, I think it's 
uh, inspiration for people to see someone like yourself go through the type of pain you have and redirect it in positive ways. So thank you for being on. I, uh, I thankfully have not dealt firsthand in my immediate family with any substance abuse disorders. Uh, mental illness has been in various parts of my family. So certainly understand that piece of it. But the thing I like to talk about in these situations is action points for families. I have young kids. Hopefully this doesn't become an issue later in life for them, but you know, you inevitably encounter these things. But let's say you are a family that has somebody who's going through either the early stages or in the midst of a, a substance abuse disorder. What are action steps today that they can take maybe through resources that Shatterproof has put together to begin educating themselves on uh, evidence-based treatment plans, on support systems they can put into place. What is something today, if somebody's watching this video, where do they go? What can they do to start that process for themselves? Absolutely. Two things. Number one, they can go to our website. And there's two sections on our website. One's called help and one's called learn. Both sections will have highly curated information, all based on science, exactly what you're looking for. If you're an employer, we have a program called Just Five, which is six lessons of five minutes each, both on prevention, there's a lesson on opioids, how to navigate the treatment program, how beautiful recovery is, et cetera. You can reach out to us and we can, you can um, get access to Just Five for your employees and get it out to all your employees. We have we launched it with J.P. Morgan Chase um, when we when we launched it a year and a half ago. Now that it's up and running in J.P. Morgan Chase, we have seventy partners around the country doing it, and now it's going into states for their employees. State of Pennsylvania did it for all their employees. City of New York, by the way, where you where you all are, it's available to all state uh, city employees in all five boroughs. And it's now going to universities. It's spreading, but any employer can reach out to us and and have access to just five also. Um, again, highly curated. And if you need more information, then you just scroll down and get more. But it's literally six lessons, five minutes each. We all have short intention spans. Yeah, that, that's fantastic. And I think, you know, having spoken to you and, and uh, read through a lot of stuff you guys have put together, I think you're trying to solve for this issue of, of a lack of central location for people to get educated around uh, just what you talked about, learning and, and learning how to get help. So, so certainly uh, applaud you guys for building that centralized resource for people to get educated around these topics. In terms of the evidence-based treatments that you talked about, you talked in the opening about how the U.S. government, the medical community has been sitting on information about evidence-based treatments for a long time without right. adequately uh, pushing them out into the marketplace and, and helping someone like yourself whose child is going through a substance abuse disorder to make sure that they are directing their treatment in the best way they can. Uh, what are some of those evidence-based treatments, if you're able to talk about them, um, to, just to educate people that are watching that might be going through something like that? Uh, absolutely. Um, first of all, if you're addicted to opioids, medications have proven to work. It's not for everyone. But if 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 one of the three of us had a, a chest pain tonight, we got rushed to the emergency room, they give us a bunch of tests, you'd sit with a doctor, and he would sit the next day after the tests are in, and you sit with a doctor, and he'd say, bad news. Yeah, you have a whole you have a problem with one of your heart valves. The good news is there's three ways to treat it. We can operate. Here's the pluses and minuses, the risks and the benefits. You could try medications. Here's the risks and the benefits. Or you could stick with it for a couple months and let's see what happens. Here's the risks and the benefits. That should be available to every person with a substance use disorder, but it's not. 
Less than 3% of the treatment programs in the country offer all three medications for those addicted to opioids. So that's number one, medications. Number two, behavioral therapies. There are seven behavioral health therapies that are recommended by our federal government, HHS, that have numerous randomly controlled trials. And if you're being treated a treatment program and you're and through the assessment that we can give you on our website, you can see what you need in a treatment program. Make sure you go to a treatment program that has the evidence-based therapies that are related to what you have. Number three, actually, let me go back to your other question. Um, I may have answered too quickly. Another th a third place that a family can go. Remember, I mentioned our website, Help and Learn, and then two, just five for employers. Three is go to Atlas, which is on our website. That's our quality measurement system. And right there, and you can take an assessment. It's 13 questions developed by the American Society of Addiction Medicine based on decades of science, anonymously, completely confidential. You take 13 questions and it will recommend what type of treatment do you need? Do you need outpatient or you do need residential? I can't tell you how many calls I've gotten in the last six or seven or eight years. Uh, Gary, my son or daughter is addicted. What do you think of this treatment program? My first question is, do they need outpatient or residential? Oh, right. Everybody needs rehab, 28 days. Got to send them away, right? No. Some, yes, depending on how they answer that. But on those 13 questions, you will get a recommendation based on American Society of Addiction Medicine decades of science. You need outpatient or residential. And what additional services do you need? Do you need mental health services? Do you need medications? And once you understand that, then you find a treatment program that fits. So to keep going on your question, medications, the right therapies, coordinated care. When my son was going through this, I was the coordinator. I would have conference calls on Tuesday nights with, with the gentleman who ran his uh, sober home, the treatment program, and his sober coach to make sure they were all talking to each other. You know. You have to coordinate between physical health, mental health, and addiction. And make sure all three are talking to each other. Does the treatment program do that? Does the treatment program connect you to recovery services when you leave the treatment program? We have eight principles, actually seven principles of care, plus eight is, is screening to determine to get into care that we, we drafted and published and have gained broad industry acceptance. It's called the National, Shatterproof National Principles of Care, broad in industry acceptance. We drafted it with the lead author, author of the 2016 Surgeon General's Report. He blessed it. And then we, we brought in some industry experts. We tweaked a little bit, make sure it all was consistent with the Surgeon General's Report. And it's now up on our website and, and the quality measurement system measures consistent with that. Amazing. Um, thank you for that, Gary. I want to ask you a question about psychedelics. So sure. um, we have friends who have invested in building psychedelics companies that have had either personal firsthand experiences where psychedelics helped them get through mental health struggles, help friends uh, break addictions and, and treat uh, substance abuse disorders. Um, what, in your observation, you obviously study this field very closely. Are you sure. encouraged at all by uh, different um, 
you know, news yeah, yeah. that's come out no, or great, that's the great, psychedelic cool. based treatments? Yeah, great question. We have to choose our choose what we focus on. Every successful right. business, it's the 80-20 rule, right? There's a, there's a lot of things you can do. Yep. Pick your lanes and excel at it. And pick the lanes that you can that have the highest um, result related to impact of what you're trying to achieve, right? And that's one lane as far as us determining what could be successful or not that we we don't choose to do. That's HHS, right? If the FDA approves it, we roll it into our systems. If HHS recommends it based on randomly controlled trials, which is how they would recommend it, we yep. roll it into our systems. But we don't have the expertise to choose whether psychedelics, they're not there yet. Yep. Having said that, I've heard good things. I mean, I, I, I'm hearing that they're starting to have some trials and it's good, but we're not built to do that right now. That's HHS's determination. That, that's them. And when they approve it, we're in. Yeah. And some of those friends that I referenced, uh, one of them being Christian Angermeyer, who's a German entrepreneur uh, right. and investor. He talks about that, the very thing that you're describing, which is does not recommend people going out. He's not a doctor, obviously, does not recommend people going out and experimenting recklessly with different substances. Uh, it's, it's really everything should be directed by evidence based treatments that have been ratified by doctors in the medical community. So uh, he, he would agree with most of your points, even though he uh, is, is very obviously bullish on the potential for psychedelics to break sort of these intractable uh, substance abuse and mental health type of issues. So it's right. a fascinating thing. It'll be a fascinating thing to watch over the next decade or so. Last question I want to leave us with is, you know, hopefully hope is that if you're talking to a family through the camera right now and they're going through the type of um, issues you're going through with your son, that they feel like there's not going to be a path out of this. Could you just leave our audience with a message um, of hope, but, you know, honest, an honest assessment of, of what the future might hold for them. Absolutely. Great question. I don't like the word hope personally, because hope means to me as a business, you know, from a business background, one in 10, right? You right. know, invest in this and hope it'll work out. I'm thrilled to be able to tell you expect it, right? We have the, the science is there. Can I look you and Anthony in the eye right now and say that we can end this disease tomorrow? No. Can I look at you and Anthony in the eye and say, we can cut this in half? 100% yes, we can do it tomorrow. And all we need to do is implement the research that exists and let HHS develop new research. This is basic blocking and tackling, nothing complicated. It's implementing. And now we need to scale it. We need to get Atlas in every state. We need, to, we need to have stigma reduced, not just for 4 million people in the state of Pennsylvania, but across the entire country, then providers, then empl through employers, and just knock it out and block and tackle. For a family, when I talk to family members, I always say the same thing. Based on the story you just told me, I know a professional I can connect you with, but I'm, an, I'm not credentialed, so I'm going to connect you with someone. But I can tell you this, I am an expert in stigma. And I can tell you that when you hang up the phone, either walk down the hall, your son or daughter or family member, or pick up the phone and call. And if it's down the hall, hug them. And don't just say, I love you, because I did that. But what I didn't do and I have to live with, I never empathized. I always said, Brian, I love you. We had a great relationship. 
I mean, great. But I never said, this must be hard for you. I always said, okay, you relapsed. It's okay. It happens. Let's get you to the next treatment program. I love you. Let's do it. And I'll support you through doing that. But I never said, this must be hard for you. And it is. Someone's battling cancer. People say all the time, this must be hard for you. You're laying in bed getting treatment or your friends are going to college. Empathize. In addition to love. It's a tough disease, but it's not hope. You follow evidence-based practices, chances are high, very high, extremely high that the patient's going to do well. And I'll say one other thing as an advice to parents or anybody listening, become an expert because the treatment system is not there yet. It's just not, not bad people, but it's not there yet. I can't tell you how many times I was told by treatment providers, Gary, stop reading this book. Stop asking this question. We'll take care of it. I should have become an expert and it's not hard. We have the information on our, our website that gets you a lot of the way there. There's experts we can direct you to. This is like your son or daughter battling cancer. And most cancers, you know, life expectancy is high. Diabetes, you take insulin. No different than someone taking medication for opiate use disorder. All doable. It's not hope. It's expected. There are tens of millions of people living in recovery, full and fulfilling lives. Well said. And you talk about those resources. I just want to repeat them for everybody watching. Shatterproof.org is, is the website. Uh, as Gary alluded to, there's tabs on learn. There's tabs on finding help. Uh, there's, there's a tab on addiction in America and learning about the statistics and things like that. So an amazing resource that Gary and his team has, has put together uh, to allow people to have a centralized place to go to if they're searching for answers and a path forward. So Gary, thanks so much for joining us. I want to leave Anthony a final word before we let you go. No, I think I think you're brilliant and moving and heartfelt and passionate. And um, I want to be helpful here. And I'm sorry. You know, I'm sorry for your loss. I have been through the cycles of addiction in my family. Um, I've seen people lose time in their lives and they grow distant from their loved ones uh, because of this disease. And uh, I appreciate a great deal of what you're doing. And I have had my share of interactions with family members that have this affliction. And I know how painful it is, Gary. I know how out of control somebody can feel right. when we're the types of people that want to control situations. And, you know, what do we want to do for our families? We want to make their, you know, it's like the mishpoka, right? We want to make our families mm -hmm. better, right? Right. Uh, and and uh, sometimes God hands us things that, uh, like you said, are outside of our control. And then we're forced to deal with that dilemma as well. So my heart goes out to you and your family. And uh, John and I will do the very best we can to raise awareness. Uh, and I look forward to having you at our, our SALT uh, conference in September. Great. Thank you both. Thank you so very much. And we can do this. It's working. And it's not hope. It's expected. <laughs> so thank you both. Well, thank you again, Gary, for coming on. And thank you, everybody, for tuning in to today's Salt Talk with Gary Mendel from Shatterproof. If you're watching this episode, it means you care about these types of causes and you're looking to get more educated yourself. So thank you for taking that first step. Uh, and just a reminder, if you want to pass this episode along to a friend, a family member, 
Uh, all these episodes are available on demand on our website at salt.org backslash talks. They're also available on our YouTube channel, which is called Salt Tube. And also anywhere that you consume podcasts, this is available in audio version on uh, podcasts as well. And like I said, please spread the word about these salt talks, uh, especially a topic like this that we think is so important. Uh, addiction, substance abuse disorders are affecting an increasing number of people in our society as well as mental health issues. And so uh, getting educated on these topics is extremely important. But on behalf of Anthony and the entire SALT team, this is John Darcy signing off from SALT Talks for today. Hope to see you back here again soon.